0: So today we come to Genesis chapter 20. So you can open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 20. After today, we will have made it through about 40% of the way through the book of Genesis. (laughs) At this pace, if the Lord tarries, we'll finish up Genesis somewhere around... June or July of 2016, but what's the hurry, right? So there's no rush here. God's Word's going to remain. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's not going to change, nor will it ever go away. So we have a lot of time to fellowship together around His Word, right? But thus far, through Genesis, we've learned quite a bit. Um, We've studied our Creator and His creation We've seen something that started out so good turn so bad. And this was all as a result of the disobedience of mankind. The simplistic thing to do from the very beginning was just to take heed to the word of God, not just hear his words, but actually do what he says. And of course, The same thing applies for us today. But it got so bad, as we've studied Genesis, we've seen that it got so bad that God had to put a stop to it all. And in his great mercy, he gave mankind another chance. He destroyed the earth with a flood, but he spared the righteous. Noah and his family came out unharmed. And the God that never changes will also still spare the righteous. And we also saw that a man named Enoch, right, who walked with God and was no more. His, that was the testimony of his life, that he walked with God in obedience to God. And God took him off the earth to be with him for all eternity. Enoch did not see death. But mankind continued on after the flood we've seen, and, and they replenished the whole earth again as God had instructed them to do. But unfortunately, we saw that they once again chose the wrong path. And we studied how mankind tried to make a name for themselves. And that's what they proclaimed. Let us make a name for ourselves. And they did that at the Tower of Babel. But God wasn't going to bring another flood upon the earth because he promised that he would never do that again. And he gave the rainbow as a symbol of that promise we've seen. So instead, He scattered mankind through the face of the earth by simply confounding their languages. Okay? They couldn't understand each other anymore as a whole, so they spread out in accordance with their new language, and the whole earth was populated as a result. And we studied that, and we talked about where the sons of Japheth and the sons of uh, Shem and the sons of Ham went and where they settled and all that. Then we studied where God then began to work in and through a man named Abraham, who we've been studying about now. And Abraham obeyed the command of God to leave his homeland. He and his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and they moved on to the land of Canaan. This would be the land that God promised to Abraham and the descendants of him and his wife, Sarah. And we've talked about the importance of that um, being specific about that, that it was Abraham and his wife Sarah who were promised this. We've seen the bad choices of Abraham, and we've seen the good. And in chapter 20 here, we'll see that Abraham repeats a mistake that he made earlier in his life. He's going to do the same dumb thing again that he did during the famine when he went down to Egypt. He concocted a story between him and his wife to say that he and she were brothers and sisters, right? We saw that once already. Well, today we're going to read the same dumb trick all over again. But in fairness to Abraham, some years have gone by now. Somewhere around 20 years have passed since the last time that Abraham pulled this stunt. But with all that, I did a little review for you there. Let's go ahead and and jump into verse one. It says, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and, do, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, if you want to take the time to study all the, of this ge- uh, geography here, I encourage you to do so. I'm not going to really comment on the geography here this morning. But what we see here is that, again, some period of time after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham and Sarah are once again on the move. And they come to this new place. And verse 2 tells us that Abraham said of his, uh, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now look, I'm sorry, but this woman, Sarah, must have been one fine looking woman. <laughs> because, I mean, she's old now. But she is still a prize in the eyes of men, I guess. Now, as I've studied this chapter, I wondered, is it kind of really in its proper chronological order? It would seem to make more sense to think that this story might have taken place earlier in the lives of Abraham and Sarah because of how old they are now at this point. But we really do not have any indication of that in the pages of Scripture But rather, we see that this incident did actually occur when Sarah was 90. And she did live to be about 127. So she had about 37 years of life left at this point. And the fact fact is, is that Sarah really was desirable in the eyes of this king. So he took her. And once again, we see this same story repeating itself. In Abraham's life but we're going to get more detail about the story as we go on but verse 3 says but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him indeed you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken for she is a man's wife but Abimelech had not come near her and he said Lord will you slay a righteous nation also So Abimelech is saying here, hey, God, I haven't done anything wrong here. But God is warning him that he has taken another man's wife from him. But Abimelech continues to plead his case here. And in verse five, he says to God regarding Abraham, did he not say she is my sister? And she even she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands. I have done this. So he admits that he took her, but he's swearing that his intentions toward her have not been bad, at least from how he understood the situation to be, right? So all of this is happening, though, we see in a dream to Abimelech, and God is using this dream to warn Abimelech here. And verse six continues, and God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So we see here that God indeed can know all, and he can see all, and he controls all things. Remember, he has a grand plan in mind here for Abraham and Sarah. God's will is going to be done in their lives in establishing a people group. A nation, right? The nation of Israel. And this people, this nation will come from Abraham and Sarah. And they will be his own special people, the chosen, the elect, the predestined ones. So God is protecting all of this from any harm. He doesn't want this plan to be fouled up in any way. This plan will not be derailed, nor will God's future plans for the world be be derailed. As we see them portrayed in the pages of our Bibles, and as we see things playing out in the news even today, right? God's plans will not be derailed. And the man that tries to derail God's plans can count himself as a dead man, as God said to Abimelech here, because it is a fearful thing, Scripture tells us, to fall into the hands of the living God. He has a plan. And this world, though we see, is turning more and more against the things of God. This world is turning more and more against the things of the word of God. Even to this very day, nations are lining up against God's people. Israel is still the Lord's people. Nothing has and nothing will change that. I listened this week to an interesting speech And if you get a chance, you might want to look at it by Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, as he spoke before the United Nations this week. And there's just some sections in there where he quote—he doesn't know. he's, He's just quoting history. He's not necessarily quoting scripture, but we know that the scriptures of the Old Testament are history as well. And he's quoting in there all that Israel has gone through, the times when they were tried to be defeated and people came against them. And he said, and it didn't work. And he basically just stands up there and says, and it won't work. Israel will stand. And he says, we will fight. We're not going to sit idly by, he said to the United Nations, as the rest of you sit silent, we're not going to sit silent. We will defend ourselves. And he says, and you guys have sat here in utter silence. And then he shut up for 45 seconds and the whole place just stared for 45 seconds as he said this. But... It's a pretty um, powerful speech. You should check it out. But you see what's going on in the world today. God has a grand plan. And this we're seeing back here with Abraham and Sarah, the beginning of this grand plan as it pertained to this nation. But you know, doctrines today have risen up that profess that God is done with Israel. There's a a theology out there today called replacement theology. It is a doctrine that many Christian people have been duped into believing, and it states that the church has taken the place of Israel. the Us Gentile believers, the church, we've taken the place of Israel. That's replacement theology. And many Christians are in line with this theology today, and basically saying God is done with Israel. But You'll see many people today in Christianity professing that the promises that we find in our Bible that were specifically written to Israel, that today they, they profess that those promises are for them, and that they're no longer meant for Israel, but they're meant for the individual believer in Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, and I exhort you to study the Word of God carefully, to rightly divide the Word of truth, but again, make no mistake that His eyes are upon each and everything that goes on in this world. And His plan will, His grand plan will unfold. Again, rightly divide the word of truth, right? And just like we see here in verse six, God is not gonna let anything harm or alter in any way His plan for this world. Today, you and me are Gentile believers and we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life for all people, right? For Jew and Gentile alike. There's no other Savior, no other Messiah, There's other than Jesus. But for now, as God's plan of, of salvation is, is unfolding, it's being offered to whosoever will. And as this plan has unfolded, if you have come to Christ, then you must remember that the Lord's heart is still toward His people Israel. Today, we live in a time where blindness has come in part to the people of Israel. Let me show you this. Mark this page and turn to the book of Romans chapter 11. Again, the reason I'm going off in this direction just so you stay in the context here, is we see in the life of Sarah that she has been taken by this king Abimelech and God's warning him, hey, don't touch her. Why? Because God's got a plan and it has to do with Abraham and Sarah, okay? And in Romans chapter 11, I'd like for us to go through this whole chapter here this morning. We'll go pretty quickly through it. But it's very important that as Gentile believers in Jesus, that we understand what Romans chapter 11 teaches us here. So starting in verse 1, here the Apostle Paul writes, Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew, Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So pause right there for a moment because as you look at the nation of Israel today as a whole, it is indeed a secular nation, okay? It's not really what you would call a godly nation. It's not a holy, devoted nation where the people are all devoted to God. It's a very secular nation as a whole, just like the United States is, right? But we don't see what God sees, okay? And Elijah, the servant of God, thought that he was the only Israelite that was standing for God. But God knew differently. Now, as I apply that to our Christianity today, see, sometimes when you take a stance or you make a stand and you say, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe, sometimes you feel all alone. Sometimes you feel like no one else around you sees this or believes this. But what do you do? You stand there for You put on the full armor of God, right? And you keep standing for what the truth is and for what righteousness is. Because, again, God sees differently, right? Today, God sees, again, what we don't see. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out here, no, God has not cast off his people. God has not cast off his people, Israel. Verse 5, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul is saying here that there was in his day those Jews that did come to the grace of God and receive salvation. And of course, we know from Scripture that the gospel of salvation in Jesus went to the Jew first, didn't it? And then it went to the Gentile. And this is all a part of God's plan, as we will see as we read on here. Let's keep going. Verse six. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Now stop right there for a minute. In verse six there, Paul explains that it's not about works. Works earn no one salvation. It's all about the grace of God. But then in verse 7 here, he asks a question. He says, what then? So in other words, what's the point that Paul's making here? Well, in verse 6 continues, or well, as verse 7, I'm sorry, continues, he says, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So there's where we see that there has been a blindness that has come to the majority of Israel, but there has been an elect or a select few, if you will, that have received this salvation by grace, these Jews, right? These are all the ones that Jesus originally had as his disciples. Remember, all of them were Jews. And all of those that the gospel went forth to in the very beginning, they were all Jews as well. Initially, right, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them first. The only time we saw a change in that is when you get to Acts chapter 10 and Peter went to an Italian man's house. He went to a Gentile's house, Cornelius, and then he said, hey, the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the Gentiles now too. But prior to that, the elect, the first ones were the Jews, right? Right? So then after the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts chapter 2, the gospel began to spread throughout the whole world, even to Gentiles as well, of course. But the majority of the Jews were blind to the grace of God. Let's read on. Verse 8, verse 8, Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? Now stop right there. So Paul is getting back to his original point here. Has God cast away Israel? Are they utterly going to fall? has he moved on in his plan away from them keep reading here verse 11 certainly not but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy salvation has come to the gentiles so we see three groups of people here as we're studying this now why do i say 3 well you have the jews slash the elect those that that those jews that received the grace of God in the very beginning. You have the Jews that are blinded to God's grace for the purpose of the gospel spreading to the third and the final group, the Gentiles. So the Jews rejecting the gospel has allowed for it to go to the Gentiles and this will provoke them to jealousy. And we're still living in that period of time right now where the gospel is still going to all the world to the gentiles. The day is going to come when there will be a last Gentile believer, whoever that will be, that will come to Christ. Okay? But right now we still live in that age of grace where whosoever will can come. Verse 12. Now, if their fall is richest for the world, right? Now, remember who we're talking about. There is the people of Israel, the Israelites, right? Now, if their fall is richest for the world and their failure richest for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, and save some of them. Remember, Paul said, I am an Israelite. He cared about the the Jews. He wanted them to be saved. Verse 15, For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches." And if some of the branches were broken off and you, you Gentiles, right, being a wild root or excuse me, a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So you're following what Paul is saying here. God has not cast off the Jews. They are the root of salvation. It all goes back to them. Salvation came through them and to them initially. Jesus was a Jew and he died for you. But his people are still his people. That never has changed and it never will change. Let's read on, verse 19. You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. You know, I'm amazed at the anti-Semitism that exists, even amongst professing believers. I played in a softball league, a full gospel softball league, and there were men on that team, Christian believers in Jesus, that didn't like the Jews. And I'm amazed that this exists. There was that haughtiness, right? There are a bunch of haughty Gentile believers in Christ out there that think they are the chosen people. But they are not rightfully dividing the Word of God. It's written very plainly here in Scriptures. We see it. Let's keep going. Verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Well, hold on a minute here because... That's something to think about right there, isn't it? You can't just glance over that verse, verse 21 there. Because at the end of verse 20, Paul warns Gentiles to not be haughty because of their standing before God, but rather to fear. In other words, reverence the Lord because He is the Lord, God Almighty. And He may not spare you either, Paul says. That's a serious verse that should cause us to reverence the Lord and not take our salvation lightly. And of course, the point that Paul's making here is don't look down your noses at the Jews as if you've received something that doesn't belong to them because it belonged to them in the beginning and it started with them and it's gonna finish with them because God's whole plan goes through them and we see it all the way back with Abraham and Sarah, which we're studying, right? So what should we do then? Verse 22, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So let me ask a question here, and you'll kind of see what I believe when I ask this question. Is it really once saved, always saved? Is that what we see? I think not, because we need to live a life of reverence. In other words, we need to continue in His goodness. And that's why I'm constantly exhorting you, stay the course, keep walking by faith. Don't turn from the truth of His word. God will not cast you off, God loves you. No one can snatch you out of His hand, but you can walk out of His hand. You can say, I'm done with you, God, I'm going back to the world. I'm going back to the way I used to live. I like that better. I'm not going to keep living in accordance with your word. I'm not going to continue in your goodness as we see here. Instead, I'm going to go do this. But Paul's warning us here, don't do that. Stay the course. Keep walking. Don't be haughty. Don't think that you're the chosen people and it all, it's all about you. right? Because again, we see that God has a grander plan than all that. That needs to unfold. So still speaking of the spiritually blind though. The Jews right. Verse 23 continues. And they also. If they do not continue in unbelief. Will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So the blind can be saved. Praise God for that. Because I was once blind. We all were once blind. But now we see. What do we see? What have we come to know? That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. But there are people still blind to that. And there's a whole people group who God's plan is for and started with and will end with that are blind to that. So that the gospel can still be going forth today to Gentiles. And we are beneficiaries of their blindness. We have received Jesus Christ, the gospel has come to us and we have received it. Verse 24, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So do you see all that, right? What does all that mean? Salvation is of the Jews. We've been grafted into that tree. So if we can be grafted in by God, right? How much easier is it going to be for them to be grafted back in to their own tree? Because salvation is of the Jews, right? It's going to be very easy for them to be grafted back in. Now, if you wonder where I get that statement, salvation is of the Jews, well, it was Jesus who said that. In John chapter 4, verse 22, he said salvation is of the Jews. Verse 25, though, here says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now notice that the blindness is only in part. Why does it say it's only in part? Well, because not all the Jews are blind, right? We know that there are Jews that have come to faith in Jesus Christ even today. And also there was the original elect, those those that God chose to bring the gospel through to the world. But verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So those two verses need no further explanation in the light of everything we've just read. Jesus is coming again and Israel as a whole, the nation, they will indeed see Jesus as the Messiah someday because he will put his feet back there on the earth again someday and they will know. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Remember, God has made a promise to their fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and he will will fulfill the promise to them. Israel is and always will be God's chosen people the elect. Doctrines of men have risen up over the centuries to confuse this truth, but nothing has changed the truth. Some of these doctrines are even named after men, such as Calvinism, for example, right? This teaches that that non-Jews are the elect. the Gentiles are the elect, the chosen people, right? But when you study election, Go do a study on the word election. Go do a study on predestination. It only refers to Jesus and to the Jews wherever you read it throughout Scripture. If you read it all within its context, okay. So it's kind of a replacement theology to say that anyone else is the elect because you want to. You got to move Israel out of the way in order for to say some Gentiles are the elect, okay. But Paul's saying God hasn't done that. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, and it's come through the Jews, the the Jew first, right? Now, I want to finish out this chapter in Romans here, so let's look at verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God, okay? Now, think of us as Gentiles sitting here, right? And this is speaking to us. For as you were once disobedient to God, you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on them. Okay, so God will have mercy on Israel, just as he has had mercy on us as Gentiles. Again, this is all part of his grand plan. And when you think about his grand plan, It causes you to say, as the apostle Paul says here in verse 33, when you think about God's grand plan, you think about all this, that he's doing this work in the world. You say, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways Past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory. Amen. So Paul's just saying his plan is so great. This is so awesome. The gospel's come to the Jews, it's going out to the Gentiles. Israel's going to be saved. This is just an awesome plan of God, and he is worthy of all. And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 20, in verse six there, we see, why did I go off on all this? Because God was protecting his ultimate plan by protecting Sarah from Abimelech here. Again, even though we see this decision by Abraham to come up with this story, God is protecting his grand plan. And then in verse seven, Now, therefore, this is God speaking to Abimelech, right? Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So again, keep this in mind here, right? That God's plan was for a child to be born, Isaac, right? of Abraham and Sarah, the chosen people, the Israelites, would come through that child. And nothing or no one better mess with that plan. And the same holds true today as it pertains to God's plan for Israel and for all of us. God will bless those that bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. This is something that the politicians of our world today need to get a better understanding of. And other religions of this world need to be aware of it as well. And we as Christians, as believers in Jesus, better not be haughty. And we better be aware of God's ultimate plan. Because there's one chosen people. Okay, And it's not us. We have simply been grafted in as a part of God's plan of salvation. But the story continues, verse 8. So Bimelech rose early in the morning called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. So he had the, he understood here, hey, I'm telling everybody, this is what's happening. Don't nobody mess with this. I better let all of my men know, everybody better know. Don't mess with Sarah, let's get her out of here, right? Verse nine, and Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and all my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? So Abimelech is rightfully rebuking the man of God, Abraham, here. If I give you the Dave Nelson version of what Abimelech is saying here, it's you bonehead. What are you thinking coming in here and doing such a stupid thing to me? That's the DNV. That's the Dave Nelson version. I don't recommend that you read it, right? But Abraham tries to explain himself here. And he says in verse 11, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Oh, so now we find out a little bit more about this story that Abraham concocted once before and now. We know a little bit more about it here, but Abraham just trying to explain that he's not really telling a whole lie. It's just a little bit of a lie here, right? But if it's not a the whole truth, then it's a complete lie. But you see, we must understand today that God is not the God of a partial truth and nor does he want us living in a partial truth as we walk through this life, okay? He's the God of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the word of God is truth. And Abraham continues on here and says in verse 13, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Oh, so now we see the root of this whole lie. It started all those years ago when God, It was God to blame, maybe, but when God caused Abraham to wander from his father's house, poor Abraham, he's not to blame here, right? It's God God that caused him to make up this story, right? But we know what he should have done, and we know what all of us should do as we go through this life. We should just trust in God. We should trust that God has given us a promise, the promise of eternity, He's going to walk with us through this life. We can trust in him. But instead, we go through life and we kind of concoct our own stories sometimes, too, by making our own way in life, by making decisions we want to make that are outside of God's will, right? But here again, as I've mentioned before, we see that faithful, or excuse me, that Sarah was a faithful wife, wasn't she? She went along with this plan, not just on one occasion either, but twice here at least, right? You see, we husbands don't always do what's right, but Sarah is a good example to the wives as to how you can serve God even when your husband makes bad choices. But Sarah is in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, for being a wife that served God by serving her husband. And we husbands can learn from Abraham's failures to live in truth, to not compromise, but rather to trust God that his plan will be accomplished in our lives. Verse 14, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Right, Just get out of here, right? So they have an open door invitation to stay wherever they want. Then verse 16, then to Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother slash husband, right? A thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Now, That word rebuke there at the end of verse 16 is the Hebrew word yachak, and it's a word that means to be made right. So this isn't necessarily a rebuke as we think of a rebuke, but it simply could mean that things were made right with Sarah. Again, Abraham was restored, and so was Sarah. Abimelech didn't want God to think that he had harmed Sarah in any way, shape, or form, and so he's letting Sarah know that he gave Abraham silver on her behalf. Verse 17, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants that they that they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So we don't really know the period of time that passed while she was there, right? But again, I know I'm being redundant in this, but God is protecting his grand plan here. And he shut up everything in that house. There was not one woman that was going to get pregnant in that household until Abraham and Sarah were restored and back on their way. But again, God knows all and he sees all. And as you watch the world news and as you see things unfold, remember that God is still God. He's still Lord. He's still on the throne. And we are to fear God. meaning we are to reverence God, right? Don't think of that word fear in a bad way. It's reverence, respect, live your life in such a way that shows you honor God, right? And we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're to pray for Israel. We're to pray for God's grand plan in all of this. And in the meantime, we're, we're not to forget that the gospel needs to go forth. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing, Right? There is still a time to repent from the ways of this world and be saved. People can still come to Christ. The blindness still is in effect for Israel. And we must use this time wisely to preach the gospel of salvation, salvation in Jesus Christ, because the day is coming when this time will be no more and it will be too late for people. But notice the uprising of the false religions today. Notice the uprising of the lies, the lion doctrines. And where are Christians? You know, I I see billboards. I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I see billboards all over Phoenix in regards to Islam, in regards to why Muhammad, try Muhammad, and how great and all that is. But where are the Christians? We have the gospel and we need to share the gospel. We need to take it seriously. We need to know that there's a blindness in effect right now, but the time is running short. And we have the answer, and Jesus is the answer. And we need to live in such a way that shows we believe that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we thank you for this time. And it's just been, by comparison to the the amount of hours left in the week ahead of us, Lord, this is just such a short period of time. So I pray, Lord, that this is not all there is to our worship, That, Lord, we will be people that live lives of worship. People that pray continually, pray without ceasing. People that worship you in spirit and in truth. And people that have beautiful feet in that we take the gospel to the people around us. because people are lost and dying without the truth, without you, the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. We in this room have come to know you. We're not supposed to bottle you up. We're not supposed to put you on a shelf. We're supposed to live out loud who you are. So fill us with your Spirit, Lord, that we might be your witness, Lord, because as we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that was the purpose of the Spirit coming upon them in the very beginning, that they might be witnesses to you, because each one of us here, just as they had a Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, we have a Judea, a Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, the people we work with, our family members, our neighbors. Lord, the people that will hear this teaching throughout the internet, throughout the world, I pray for them, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation as they hear this. God, I pray your will to be done in the coming week, Lord. May The words of our mouth, may the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. May we live for your glory. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember when we studied how when the famine hit that they went down to Egypt and he plotted this whole plan with his wife, Sarah, on saying, hey, say you're my sister. okay?" and then we've seen him and Sarah come up with a, a whole plot, a whole way to try and make the promise of God happen. But God didn't need their intervention. And look, God doesn't need our intervention in the way he works in our lives. He really just wants us to trust in Him with all of our heart. And again, not look to the things of this world, but to look to the things of His Word, to seek Him first above all else. Because look, we know that there's been judgment throughout history. We, we can look and, uh, you know, like we've studied here, right? Like we've seen today. There's been this judgment that came for Sodom and Gomorrah, for this wicked place that was lost and living without the leading of God, and, and, and they were not walking by any stretch of the imagination, walking in the paths of righteousness. but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you and I were called to be people that walk in the paths of righteousness for His names sake. and we need to again, we just need to be sharing this love with the world around us that you have a testimony you have something that the Lord has done in your life you probably have multiple testimonies in other words you can share multiple things that the Lord has done in your life take the time to love somebody around you don't point a condemning finger at the world God didn't condemn the world he the Bible the word tells us that he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world right but so that the world through Him may be saved. Yes, we do know that a judgment is coming. Yes, we do know that people in this world, many people are far from knowing the living God. But we are to be His hands and feet here. We have the gospel. It's come into your heart. It has changed you. And if it has, then why don't you share this? Why won't we just take the time to share it with the lost around us? We know the truth. We know that everybody needs Jesus. We know that the world is full of many lies. But we know that everyone needs Jesus. We know that Jesus is the answer. You have Christ in you. And the world needs Him. And again, we, we know as well that judgment is coming. And judgment is no joke. It's no joke. Again, the world around you may laugh at you when you share the gospel with them. But there's also many, many people out there that are hurting, that are lost, that are turning to everything else to try and find fulfillment, to try and find peace. They're turning to the things that destroy them. So, take the time this week to find somebody to love with God's love. That agape love, that is God's love. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's so powerful. God became flesh and dwelt among us to reach this lost and dying world. He doesn't want them to fall under His judgment. He's not willing that any should perish. But it's you and I who know Christ that must live Christ. We must show Christ to this world around us. Let's pray.